0: ladies I happened to note I wasn't here last week but I noticed you all stood when Taylor <laughs> sang and I thought that was great so stand up <laughs>
1: No guilt in life, no sin in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell. calls me home here in the power of Christ Thank you for today and I just thank you for um Heidi who's going to speak to us. I just pray that you would just bless our hearts and use this time to glorify your name in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Good morning. What a what a treat. Thank you. And um perfect song for our lesson today as well. Um, before, before we get started, I, I want to make an announcement. I want to make sure I get it right um, uh, about Bonnie Tadlock. She is one of our mentors. She's a member here at Abide. And if I understand, her mother passed yesterday. And um, those of you that know Bonnie, she's been very faithful, faithfully taking care of her mom for years. And so um, let's pray for her, and then we'll get started into our lesson. Father, we want to just lift up our sister and just pray that you would um, help the family now, help them as they're grieving. Father, I pray that you might come alongside them and and be their peace and be their strength and and be their comfort in this hour. And I pray that she will know the presence of God as she walks through this time in a way uh, maybe she hasn't known before. And Father, we just... uh, want to thank you for her and her faithfulness and the example and just the beautiful model that she's given. I know me personally, I thank you for that. And we um, ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Catherine S. Spot was coined the mother of covenant marriage in the state of Louisiana in 1997. She was a college professor at Louisiana State University's School of Law a committed Christian, and a lifelong advocate for children, particularly concerning the effects that no-fault divorce was having on them. She was introduced to then-freshman State Senator Tony Perkins, and together they drafted House Bill 756, the nation's first covenant marriage law. It was expected to sweep the nation. It did not. What it did do was give the applicants of Louisiana a choice. When applying for a marriage license, they could now choose to have either a traditional marriage or a covenant marriage. To choose a covenant marriage, you could check a box on the one-page state marriage application and execute a declaration of intent, which, by the way, included this statement. We understand that a covenant marriage is for life. The intent states that the couple will seek counseling before getting married and before getting a divorce. It also stated that the couple would agree that grounds for divorce were limited, limited to infidelity, a felony conviction, physical abuse, sexual abuse, or abandonment, and would require a two-year separation before divorcing. Basically they were agreeing that a no-fault divorce was off the table. One article entitled, The Pros and Cons of Covenant Marriage explained that the goal of lawmakers and supporters was to strengthen the family and support marriage. What were the cons for a covenant marriage license? Well, some saw it as too religious. And the other, with newlyweds, it wasn't popular. In the years, in the first year that the law was in effect, only 1% chose to have a covenant marriage vows. In the years between 2000 and 2010, only 1% of the marriages were covenant marriages, and the rest were traditional. Only two other states followed and now offer covenant marriage options, the state of Arkansas and the state of Arizona. In Arizona, one-fourth of 1% of couples getting married select the covenant marriage option. In Arkansas, it was signed into law in 2001 under then Governor Mike Huckabee, who attempted to give the whole movement a boost by converting his own marriage to a covenant marriage in a very uh, public um, ceremony. However, in the end, less than 1% of their applicants are for covenant marriage. In the rest of the nation, 26 other states have introduced similar bills, but for various reasons have not passed anything. It would appear that our country, even the deeply religious South, wants access to easy divorce. And they really aren't all that into covenant marriages. But here's the thing. If God defines marriage, then all those folks in Louisiana and Arkansas and Arizona, they all have covenant marriages, whether they have checked the box or not. What is a covenant? What is a covenant marriage? What is a marriage based on covenant? And why do I need to know these things? If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Malachi 2.14? Now, I also have this printed for you on your handout because I know that, that um, can be a hard verse to find. So we're going to start with Malachi 2.14. It says this. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Okay, on your papers, I also have the definition for marriage that we used last week. We said this, marriage as created by God is a sacred, binding, lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. All right, now last week we noted the dictionary definition, and we said they used the word contract, We're using the word covenant because that's the way the Bible defines it. All right, now, some of you are familiar with the term covenant. Some of you are wondering what all the fuss is about. So we're going to get right down to it. Here's number one on your handout. Number one, everything God does is based on covenant Now, if you have grown up in the United States, we are at a great disadvantage because we don't really understand the concept of covenant or the language. As Americans, we think in terms of contract. Okay, we're, we're a nation of um, lawsuits and prenups. We think contractually. Everything we do requires us to do some kind of contract. You can't upload, um, you can't update your phone or c- your computer without first having this big, long, legal page come up on your screen, which we don't read, and then we click. We are making contracts at the click of a button. We think contractually. All right, now, we know that we can't uh, live without them, but we also know that if we need to, we can get out of them. I mean, you might have to hire a lawyer and part with some cash, but you know that contracts are dissolved and broken all the time. We, as Americans, we think contractually. All right, now, but God deals covenantally. Okay, the Bible is in the language of covenant. Everything God does is based on covenant. God is not a contract-keeping God. He is a covenant-keeping God. We're going to see that covenant is a thread all throughout the Bible, and so we need to understand it. Now, I want to give you a bit of a warning. There are courses on this topic, and I highly recommend them. Um, there is precept.org. I have the um, link on your paper. They have an excellent course on covenant. One is in-depth. One is a little bit shorter version. Um, I highly recommend them. You can go to their website and order it. Um, Also, Kay Arthur has one that she put together with Lifeway. If you are interested in understanding your salvation and growing in your faith and you're willing to do the homework, I I recommend these courses. Now, today we're just going to go over some basics about covenant and I'm going to be hitting you with a lot of information and we're going to go through it quickly there's not going to be a lot of application today that's coming a lot of it but um, for today we're gonna lay some groundwork now years ago I taught a precept course on Covenant and I gave the class the example of Donald Trump not knowing at the time that he would one day be our president but he had just married Melania and a couple years prior, and they had signed a prenup. And so here's what he had to say about prenup. He said, prenups, they are a hard, painful, ugly tool. Believe me, there's nothing fun about it, but there comes a time when you have to say, darling, I think you're magnificent. I care for you deeply, but if things don't work out, this is what you're going to get. Okay, end quote. That is the mentality of a prenup, okay? Or for that matter, a traditional marriage in Arkansas, okay? Now, um, that is contractual thinking. Now, darling, if things don't work out, this is what you get. Now, um, whether they realize it or not, that prenup, that contract, that is defining their relationship. Their marriage is based on it. When the husband says, honey, I love you, Honey, I'm going to take care of you. She needs to understand that in light of the prenup because what he is saying to her is, Honey, I love you. Honey, I'll take care of you. But if things don't work out, this is what you're going to get. All right? That, that's um, covenant or uh, thinking contractually. All right, now when you are studying God's word, we want to try to understand our relationship and our responsibilities. We need to understand that in light of the covenant, because God does everything based on covenant. He's a covenant-keeping God. So I want to give you a definition for the word, and then we're going to take a look at some few verses where it's used. All right, Hebrew word for covenant, on your papers. It is berith. It describes a solemn binding arrangement between two parties made by passing between pieces of flesh. It is is the strongest word in any language in regard to relationship, okay? It is the most binding, and even pagans understood and practiced covenant. Now, that brings me to our next point. Number two, when studying covenant, it's important to understand that we never see covenant in the Bible in its entirety. We never see it in its entirety, now, when we're studying the Bible, the Bible lets us see it in bits and pieces, but we never see the full bone picture of um, covenant. Now, that means that I can't be real dogmatic about everything this morning. Okay, there are times that um, uh, I don't want to make the scriptures say something it doesn't say. Okay, there are times when I can stand here and I can be super dogmatic about things. I cannot do that with this topic. So I'm going to try to be very mindful of that. All right, now, having said that, there are some things, some common elements, some patterns that we see throughout Scripture that have to do with covenant. And I want us to make a list of them today because I want you to recognize them whenever you're reading them in the Scriptures. Now, as we go over these, I want you to be thinking if any of these were a part of your wedding. All right, here we go. Turn with me to Genesis 6. In your Bibles, Genesis 6... Sorry. I thought I had that. <clears throat> okay, Genesis 6. We're going to start at verse 17. This is the first time that we see the word we see the word in the scriptures. Not necessarily the first time covenant takes place, but it is the first time we see the word. Genesis 6:17 says this, "For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. By the way, this is a good word to mark in your Bibles every time you see it. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Okay, we're going to stop there. Now, we're going to be looking at common elements of covenant. So here's the first thing on your list. Terms. Terms. The covenant of... Always would have terms explaining the covenant. This is what I will do. This is what you will do. Okay, you would um, hear the here. You would hear the terms, and then you would count the cost. You would assess the term. You would assess the terms and the covenant. Okay, you never just accidentally made a covenant. Now, um, in this case, God is explaining the terms to Noah, and he's saying, I'm going to flood the earth. You are going to come into the ark. Now, um, you couldn't have a covenant without some type of explanation or some type of um, understanding the terms. All right, now turn to Genesis 9. Genesis 9. Genesis 9.11 says this. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds. All right, verse 15. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all earth. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Okay, now next to the word terms, you could also write two words. You could write the word conditional and unconditional. Because sometimes the terms had conditions and sometimes they didn't. Now with this particular covenant, there were no conditions. Okay, did you notice that? There was nothing required of Noah. Even if Noah and his descendants would go off and do something really stupid, it did not matter. Okay, God said he was promising, I will never again flood the earth with water, the whole earth, period. Okay, it was unconditional. All right, here's the next list of um, common ingredients. Next on our list, number two, promises or oaths. Okay, covenants would include some type of promise or oath-making. In this passage, God is promising to never again flood the earth with water. All right, next, number three, witnesses. Okay, covenants always had something or someone acting as a witness to the making of the covenant, All right? Number four, the next, gifts, memorials, and or signs. Right? Sometimes gifts, memorials, and or signs. Sometimes when making uh, a covenant, people would set up a memorial. You'll see this in the Bible. They might set up a pile of stones, or they might plant a tree uh, in th- to mark the uh, making of a covenant, or they might give gifts. Now, in this passage, God says the rainbow is a sign of his covenant. So that means every time that we see a rainbow in the sky, that is a reminder to us that our God is a covenant, keeping God. And he will never again destroy the earth with water. That was the covenant and the promise that he made to Noah. All right, now later we're going to see a covenant that is made with Abraham, and the sign for that is circumcision. Your wedding bands are signs, okay? Now, David Livingstone, he was a missionary. He talks about how rival um, tribes in Africa would make covenants together, and they would make cuts in their skin, and they would then commingle their blood And then they would, supposedly, they would take um, ashes or gunpowder, and they would rub it into that wound so that it would scar and leave a mark so that their bodies would carry the marks of their covenant. And then as they were traveling, let's say they needed protection, they would hold up that mark. They would hold up that sign because that mark said, you don't want to mess with me. I'm in covenant with those guys. Or it might say, I'm in covenant with your tribe. Okay, so they, they were wearing the marks of their body, of the covenant on their body. Now, we read about this in um, the Bible. Do you remember the story of um, Thomas? And Jesus shows him the scars on his hands after the resurrection. Those are, those are marks of the covenant that Jesus was bearing on his body. All right, now let's turn to another passage, Genesis 15. <clears throat> Genesis 15, this is, we're going to start in verse 8. And in this passage, God has just promised Abram an heir and descendants, as many as the stars in the sky, and a land for him to possess. All right, that's the background. We're going to pick up in verse 8. But he said, O Lord God, how how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of, all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Adam, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. All right, now jump down to verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates. Okay, we'll end there. All right, ladies, for years, I would read this passage and I would just find it so odd. I thought, I would think, why when Abram is so desperate for a child, does God tell him to go round up some farm animals? Okay, but Abram knows what's going on. He knows what to do. He understands that God is initiating a covenant with him. And so God's promise is going to be based on covenant. Now, Abraham is going to take those animals, and he is going to cut them in half right down the spine and then he's going to take those pieces and lay them opposite each other, bloody side up. Okay, and there was no easy way to do this. All right, it, be, it was very bloody. Okay, and then they would lay those pieces and there would be, it would make for a walkway or an aisle of blood. Now, there are historical accounts of people making covenants with the blood up to their ankles. Okay, now that brings me to our next co- common element, and that is number five: blood. Okay, blood and/or sacrifices. Blood covenants involved blood. Now there were other kinds of covenants too, but I um, want you to look back at verse 18. Verse 18 says, "On that day, the Lord made a covenant." I want you to notice the word "made." You might want to circle it, and I have this on your paper, the definition for in Hebrew. That word made means to divide or cut, okay? So when you read the expression, you're going to read it all throughout the Bible, they made a covenant, I want you to think cut, okay? They cut a covenant. They are cutting flesh, all right? Now, in the Old Testament, they would have been cutting the flesh of animals, all right? Now... H. Clay Trumbull, he wrote a book on blood covenants in 1885, and he discovered that elements of covenant are throughout history in, in all the cultures. And in every quarter of the globe, no matter how primitive or how enlightened, that they're, they're universal. Now, that really shouldn't surprise us because we all have been, were descendants of those sons that were on the ark with Noah. And all of those sons knew and practiced covenant. So that shouldn't surprise us. Um, but M. Trumbull explains how people would form compacts or they would, um, brotherhoods, by co mingling or mingling their blood. They might each cut their arms and mingle their blood. They might take blood and put it into a cup of water and then each drink it. Now, that a Jew would not have done that because that would have been unclean, but pagans did it. There are um, uh, evidence of people maybe signing their name in blood. Okay? The, the point is, Blood was used with the blood covenant. Now, that brings us to our next common element, and that's number six, the walk of death. In Bible times, people would walk through those pieces of animal flesh. Some say they made a um, circle eight, a figure eight. It was commonly known as a walk of death, and you were saying just as the animals were dead, you were declaring that you were dead to independent living because now you were in covenant. Now you had a covenant partner. You um, were also recognizing that you were entering the covenant upon penalty of death. As you were saying, you were looking and saying, you were saying, as God is my witness, may I become as these animals if I break the covenant. All right? Now... um, this, by the way, is the reason uh, weddings, coronations, why you walk down an aisle of Red, a red carpet. It has its roots in covenant. All right, brings us to our next element. Number seven, solemn and serious. All covenants are serious. They are solemn. Okay, there was nothing silly or lighthearted about making a covenant, cutting a covenant. And the shedding of blood made sure of that okay, it um, it demonstrated the intensity and the solemn nature of the covenant. Now, I have on your paper a verse from Leviticus. It's Leviticus 1711. It says this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. The Bible teaches the life is in the blood, okay? Uh, A person's physical life is in the blood that is coursing through his body. Um, Trumbull found in his research That was a dominating, universal conviction. People universally understood this. They didn't have to be taught it. The American Red Cross advertises, give the gift of life, give blood, okay? That's because the Bible tells us the life is in the blood. All right, now, why make a big deal about that? Well, because a person couldn't make a commitment or a covenant with anything more sacred. You would never enter into a covenant lightly or flippantly. It was a pledge to death. You were calling upon your own death if you broke it. Nothing could transcend it. All right. Now, in this particular incident, Genesis chapter 15, Abram doesn't walk through the pieces. He's asleep. Did you notice that? And that's major. We read there is a smoking pot and a flaming torch that goes through the pieces. Now, if you think about your Bible stories, and you think about the burning bush, and you think about the, the cloud of fire that went ahead of the Israelites in the wilderness, then we begin to understand this is God walking through the pieces, okay? He's walking through the pieces of flesh in this story. He initiated the covenant, and he is making the promises, and Abram is asleep, all right? Next passage, turn with me to Genesis 17, 1. But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Next on your paper, name change or exchange. Okay, a person's name would often be changed after making a covenant. Or something else might be named in its honor. That happened too. They might name the place where the covenant was made. Now, sometimes you took on the name of your new covenant partner. And with the case of Abram, his new name becomes Abraham, which includes a part of the name of Yahweh. And then if we keep reading, we're going to see in the Bible that that God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So um, So we see name changes and exchanges are in common. Okay, one more. Let's do Genesis 26. Okay, this passage tells us about Isaac and some trouble he is having with some Philistines plugging up his wells. All right, so we're going to pick up in verse 26. Now, as we're reading this, I want you to be watching. I want you to watch for the language and see if you see any of the elements there. All right, here we go. Genesis 26, verse 26. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Ficol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me, and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. Okay? Wait a second. What are you going to think? Make a covenant. What are they going to do? Cut. They're going to cut a covenant. Good. All right, verse 29 that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have not done to you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. Here's the next thing on our list. A meal. Okay, this often came at the end. It might have been a time of celebration. Okay, nowadays people will shake hands at the end of a transaction. In old times, apparently, they would strike arms as a way of ending out a transaction, that those things have roots from covenant. Okay, but a meal was often a part of making a covenant. All right, you might remember when Jesus was talking about the new covenant in the Gospels. They were having a meal. When we celebrate the new covenant, what do we do? We take communion. We eat. Okay? So a meal. All right. Now, there are examples outside of the Bible that describe covenant partners. They might have a meal together, and they might feed each other food. And they would say, I am eating you, and you are eating me, and together we are one. They might drink from the same cup and say, I am drinking you, and you are drinking me, and together we are one. Now, that may sound really bizarre, but if you fed your husband cake at your wedding, that's what you were doing. You were saying, we are bound together, we are one. You might have lit a, a unity candle. That would, that would be another way that m- you might do it. But the point is, the rituals are being used to demonstrate that you and your covenant partner are bound together is one. All right, is one relationship. Now, as we go through the Bible, we're going to see examples of all different kinds of covenants and different reasons why they had them. Sometimes they made them for protection, like we see here. Sometimes they did them for a a covenant of friendship and love. But ultimately, they were looking to bind themselves in relationship with someone, some form of relationship. Here's our next point. Number three, covenant established a chosen, binding, personal, connecting relationship. Now, covenant was all about relationship and oneness in that relationship. Now, that brings us to our next question. And you might be thinking this. You might be thinking, well, this is all very interesting, but what does any of this mean practically? Your book asked, how does this affect us day to day? I mean, we're not going to go around cutting our arms and, and um, mingling our blood every time we want to make a friend. So uh, so here's our next point. Number four, covenant is how God has chosen to communicate to us, to redeem us, and to guarantee us eternal life in Jesus. Okay, remember, we said everything God does is based on covenant. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in covenant with God. And just as God initiated the covenant with Abraham and walked through the pieces, God initiates and makes a covenant with you, not a contract. Not a contract. God doesn't say to you, Honey, I love you. But if things don't work out or you mess up, this is what you get. In salvation, God says, I am making a covenant with you, and I am committed to you in the most serious, the most intense, the most strongest terms ever. The most strongest terms possible. In fact, my son left heaven to come to earth to be the lamb, to be the sacrifice. My son left heaven to become the pieces. This covenant is cut in the blood of my son. These are the terms. God's son would become the sacrifice in your place for your sin, for our sin. Was there a promise? Oh, yes. Forgiveness of sin, a restored relationship with God, eternal life. Was there a witness? A gift, a sign, yes. God would place his very spirit in you. The gift of the Holy Spirit would be a sign and would witness and testify of the relationship that you have with him now. Was there a walk of death for you? Yes, yes, yes. Jesus calls all those who would follow him to pick up their cross And follow him. He calls us to die to ourselves. We are to die to independent living. In a sense, we walk through the pieces. Is it solemn and serious? Oh, yes. Sin is serious. And when your covenant partner becomes the pieces, so that our sin can be forgiven and that we might have a relationship with God. It is serious and solemn. Now, what about marriage? We read earlier from the verse from Malachi that God calls marriage a covenant. Does it have any of the common elements that we've just seen? For instance, were there terms? Yes. Hopefully, you had a uh, preacher at your wedding that spelled out the terms in front of witnesses. All right. Um, were there oaths and promises? Well, I am guessing that many of you promised to love your husband, and maybe you said you would love him all the days of your life, and perhaps you said that you would go where he would go, and his people well would be your people. Those—that's covenant language. That's covenant talk. All right. What about um, gifts, memorials, and signs? What about a meal? I'm guessing if you had a wedding ceremony, you probably had some form of those, uh, all of some form of those. All right, what about blood? As you know, when a woman has sex for the first time, she usually, not always, but she will usually bleed or spot a little. We have a small membrane in our body that is it's broken or stretched. Um, the first time that we have sex, it may cause a little bleeding. Doctors And scientists are baffled with this little piece of tissue. They say, we don't know why it's there. There is no use for it. Okay? Well, if you understand covenant, you know what it's there for. Our bodies testify to the fact that when we marry our husbands, we are entering into covenant. Now, so yes, there is blood. I want you to turn with me to one more passage. I want you to find 1 Samuel. Okay, You're going to go right. You're going to ta- see Genesis and then go right. We're in the Old Testament. It's after the book of Ruth. This is one of the most beautiful passages <clears throat> on covenant. 1 Samuel 18. I'm going to start with verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. We'll end there, okay. Now, we are told that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And then Jonathan gave David his robe. Now, I don't know about you, but I I used to wonder why did he do that? And why did scripture see it as something worth recording? Well, um... We can't be dogmatic about it, but we know they just cut a covenant. And so, what this is probably a part of the ceremony known as the exchange of robes. Okay, and um, this is when covenants of love and friendship were made, they would exchange robes. And what they were saying is, I am wearing you, and you are wearing me, and together we are one. Okay, the robe was symbolic of a person's identity, all right? So they were exchanging identities, and they're saying, I am putting on you, and you are putting on me, and together we are one. All right, now, do we see anything like this when we think of our salvation in terms of the new covenant where, the, uh, where there's an exchange of robe? Do we, see, um, do we see God putting on our robe in the New Testament? Do we? Yeah. Yeah, big time. Think Christmas. Okay, the Christmas story. God took on flesh and he dwelt among us. Jesus left glory in heaven. He took on the form of humanity and he bore our sins. So yes, God wore our robe. Okay, what about the um, opposite? Do we put on Jesus's robe? Do we wear his robe? Yes. Yes, after salvation, we are clothed. We are robed in his righteousness. And then all through the New Testament, we're told to put on Christ. Put on Christ. Okay, so we see it there. All right, what about the marriage covenant? When Jonathan was giving his robe to David, he was saying, what's mine is yours. And what's yours is mine. Sometimes a covenant partner would take his partner out to his fields, and he would say, I have no secrets. I want you to see my flocks and my fields, because what's mine is yours. My my flocks and my fields are yours, and your debts are now mine because we are one. We are in covenant together. Now, the same way, when you marry, you are saying to your husband, what is mine is yours, and what is yours is mine. Your people are now my people. Your concerns are now my concerns. And my talents and my gifting and my bank accounts they are yours. And because covenant was the most intimate of covenants my body is yours. I do not withhold my body because we are one. And to withhold and to and to deprive you of something is to deprive my own body. When a person cut a covenant and exchanged robes, they were making it known they were dying to independent living and taking on the identity of their covenant partner. I want to close with a couple of questions. I wonder if there is anyone here who needs to get serious about sin and their relationship with God and, and make that walk of death. I, if you are married, I would ask, do you realize the significance of God viewing your marriage as a covenant? and is it impacting the way you treat your husbands? What kind of covenant partner are you? I wonder if any of you need to go home and have a little ceremony and tell your husband that you have not been taking seriously the covenant that you made and that you have not been a good covenant partner and that you act independently and you withhold things from him you have no business withholding. But that ends today. Here's our last point. It's from the book. Number five. We are responsible before God to fulfill our part of the marriage covenant as Christ is faithful to us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we we don't talk about covenant much. We don't understand it much with our American mindset, but we pray that you help us. I pray that you'll help us to see it when we study your word. I pray that we'll be women that live to the glory of God as, as, as godly covenant partners to our spouses, as bold Christians living for your glory. Father, I would just pray that you would um, just be present during the conversations of small group time this morning and, and uh, that your word would be magnified in each group